wet as you go out there, okay? You've got a guy with an umbrella. Carrie, can you just step in here a second so they'll know what I'm talking about? Carrie? Can you just step in so people won't think I've lost my... Well, they know that I've lost my mind, but... Come on, Carrie. Step in here. There you go. Carrie, what's the lesson on today? Flood. Ah! <laughs> kind of thought that. All right. Thank you. Kids have a great time down there. I think Carrie has as much fun, if not more fun, than they do. We certainly appreciate their faithfulness and ministry with our children. Romans chapter 14. We're working our way through this text, discussing 12 principles. 12 principles related to helping us to understand how to have unity. How to have unity even when we disagree with people over things that God doesn't give us clear scripture as far as helping us make choices and make decisions. As difficult and as hard as it is for us to admit and maybe even understand, two people can come to different positions and both glorify God. And that's what we're going to look at today. The importance of the glory of God in our decision making. Let me just do quickly remind you that we talked about welcoming each other. The text in Romans 14 begins that way in chapter 15 ends, so in verse 7 ends with explaining to us, so explaining to us, accept one another, welcome one another, love each other. And so this text on unity is bookended with God telling us, love people, accept people, welcome people into your life, people you disagree with on things that he hasn't given clear instructions about. So welcome those who disagree with you. We, we talked about those who have freedom of conscience must not look down or despise or treat with contempt those who don't have freedom of conscience. And, and all of us have areas where people are going to disagree with us. Some people are going to have a strong conscience. In other words, they can do some things that we don't feel like we can or we should do. Others are, we're going to feel differently than them. We're going to feel like there's some things we can do and they're restricted. So if we have freedom or when we have freedom of conscience, don't show contempt to those who don't have freedom in that particular area. And on the other side of that coin, those whose consciences restrict them must not be judgmental or remember the word we used here, condemn those who have freedom in certain areas. In other words, you may feel like you can't watch certain movies or go to movies or whatever, but, but other people don't feel the same way you do. You, you don't have a right to say that they're not godly if, they, if they're different or come down on a, a different position than you in certain areas. 
Last week, we or last time I was with you, we talked about each believer must be fully convinced of their position in their own conscience. And that really does kind of play into the principle we're getting into today. But wherever you come down, where, wherever conscience, wherever you come down on these conscience issues, you must be convinced that either you can or you can't. And I will say this, that can change. You may feel very strongly right now that there are some things you can do or can't do, and you may feel differently down the road than you feel right now. But you're still convinced in your conscience that you have a right position and the Holy Spirit of God has led you to that place in your life. Well, that takes us down through verse number five. So let's pick up our reading at verse number six. Romans chapter 14, verse six. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day. And remember what we're talking about here is celebration of certain holidays or holy days. Some people said they should. Some people said they shouldn't. So... Paul is addressing both sides of the issue here. He that regardeth the day or he that uh, as unto the Lord or, or he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth unto himself, and no man dies to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, or whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Let me just ask you a question here. Who is verse number eight talking about? Whether we live or whether we die. Let me ask you, are you living? Are you going to die? So let's talk about us. No matter where we come down in our conscience issue, whether we, in this case, observe the holy days or eat the meat, or don't observe the holy days and don't eat the meat, we belong to God, which very simply means it's not about us. It's not about our freedom or it's not about our lack of freedom. Our life is about God. Verse number nine, for to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, or he's living again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. The idea is, Christ is king over all. He is Lord of those who have passed on into eternity and he's Lord of those who are living now. And our life is all about him. Which is why we say, principle number five, assume that others are partaking or restraining, refraining for 
the glory of God. Now let's stop and pray, all right? Father, help us now. As again, we look into this text. Make our motives right. Help us to think right. Help us to think deeply about what you're teaching in this text so that we can come to a clear understanding of, of how to treat others so that we can be at unity and how, Lord, we ought to glorify you with our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now notice the principle. We ought to approach disagreements with an assumption not generally the assumption that many of us approach disagreements with. Most of us, when we disagree with someone, we immediately assume what? We're right, they're wrong. Right? Am I right? Yeah, you're wrong if you think different than I do. No. I'm... Most of us, when there's a disagreement... Assume we're right in their hey, if you don't believe me, go on Facebook. All right? And I'm not recommending that. But that is generally the assumption we have. And when we get into discussions with people who have different positions than we have, we, even in those discussions, generally aren't listening to come to an agreement. We're listening to prove people wrong. We're listening for the purpose of debate. We're listening for the purpose of trying to get them to come to our position. One of the things that we tell couples, and we try to live this ourselves in our marriage. You know, this, you, know you hear, and I, I, I still don't like it, I still don't think it has to be true, but we hear, you know, every couple's going to argue. Well, what is an argument? An argument is two people trying to get the other person changed to their position, changed to the way they, they think. You know what disagreements in marriage should be about? Not proving who's right or wrong. Disagreements in marriage ought to be about coming to Christ's likeness together. Not being right or wrong, but being like Jesus ought to be the result of those situations. And the same can be said when you and I have disagreements with people in the church family. It shouldn't be about them being wrong and you being right. It ought to be about us both seeking to glorify God. And our assumption with people we disagree with should not be they're wrong, we're right, or or I'm going to prove them wrong and show I'm right, our assumption ought to be, you know what? I am convinced that they want to glorify God too. Paul actually in verses 6 through 9 is, is extremely generous to both sides. Those who ate and those who didn't. Those who observed the holidays or holy days and those who didn't. He assumes this and wants us to do. He assumes that both sides are exercising their freedoms or their restrictions 
all for the glory of God. Wouldn't it be incredibly unifying in the church if we all had that generosity? If we all made that assumption? And if we all approached each other with that spirit that we are convinced whether people are restricted or are not restricted, have freedom or don't have freedom, if we would... If we would just treat each other like everybody's trying to glorify God, it would revolutionize the church. If we would remember Paul's attitude here is that both positions, both positions, listen, the strong and the weak, Both are pleasing God. Now that's not generally how we think, is it? We generally think in terms of how can they please God and do that? Or how can they get along in their Christian life and not do this? So let's talk about this. Let's talk about the glory of God being our motive. The glory of God being our motive. Let me just remind you again that the glory of God is not an abstract concept in the Bible. The Bible is 66 books put together in one volume. And often when we think of the Bible, we think in terms of the books, we think in terms of the stories, we think in terms of the commands or the commandments. We tend to compartmentalize this one volume given to us by the breath of God. But I want to remind you of something. The Bible really is one story. It is a story of how God will glorify himself by redeeming a people to himself through Jesus Christ. Remember this verse? Romans 3.23 We all know that verse. As a matter of fact, some of us may have even been led to Jesus Christ by that verse. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What does that mean? Well, we know the all have sinned part. I mean, that's pretty easy. And we know that that's true. We know that by revelation. We also know that by experience. No one has to convince us that we're sinners. But what does it mean to fall short the glory of God? Well, the word sin itself has the idea of missing the mark. What is the target? What is the mark? The mark is the glory of God. 
There is a reason, folks, that when the devil came to Eve, he attacked the glory of God. Why were you and I created? Why did God create Adam and Eve? Let us make man, God said, in our image. God made the human race to be image bearers. What does that mean? You and I were created to demonstrate the glory of God. But sin ruined that. Sin cut that short. But ever since the Garden of Eden, and ever since man allowed sin to mar the image of God that is supposed to bear out in our lives, God has been doing everything He can to restore that image of His glory. You and I are supposed to look like Jesus and think like Jesus and talk like Jesus and act like Jesus and represent Jesus. We are to bear His image. And ultimately we know that when everything is culminated and everything as far as this world history is concerned and we're moving into eternity, we are told that every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. Let's say it this way. The glory of God is not an abstract concept in the Bible. It's, it's the Bible itself. It's the reason God does what He does. It's the reason you and I should do what I do. We exist to be image bearers of the glory of God. And we ought to think that way about each other. And we ought to take very seriously our responsibility as image bearers. In other words, God's glory is our primary motive. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all the glory of God. And I think maybe Paul was even talking about these kinds of issues in 1 Corinthians 10. Wherever you come down on the position of what you eat or what you drink, or whatever you do, it ought to be done for the glory of God. Now, there's a lot more we can say about that. What I want to do now is kind of talk about what happens, what really happens in our thinking, what needs to happen in our thinking when the glory of God does become our primary motive for the decisions we make, for choices, for relationships, how, what, what entertainments we choose, what friendships we choose, what clothing we choose, what music we choose, 
whatever we eat or whatever we drink or whatever we do. When God's glory is our motive, what happens? Well, it does affect our thinking. First of all, you'll stop really caring what other people think. Now, I want to caution you here. We're not talking about throwing out a testimony. We're image bearers. We ought to be, we ought to be concerned about what people think about Him based on how we live. What I'm talking about is this. What I'm talking about is when what people think about us is so important to us that it motivates everything rather than what people think about God because of us. You see what I'm saying? There is a difference. We want to be thought of as spiritual. We want to be thought of as holy. We want to be thought of as having it all together. We want to be thought of as good parents, good teenagers, moral, upright, religious. There are all kinds of motives for why we do what we do, the choices that we make. But when God's glory becomes our primary motive for all of those things that are a part of our life, we will be free from the tyranny, the slavery of fear of what other people think. Some of you wore what you wear today, wore today. You're wearing what you're wearing today because you were concerned about what some people would think about. And I'm not just talking about fashion questions, all right? I'm talking about spiritual questions. Some of you, this past week, hid so you could do what you wanted to do even though it might not have been wrong because you were afraid of what people would think. Your IBC root beer moment. All right? Are we controlled by our fear of what others think more than our concern about the glory of God? What else? Well, when the glory of God is our primary motive. We'll stop really caring about what other people think is our primary motive and what God thinks will be. Secondly, we'll stop trying to fit in. We'll stop trying to fit in. We won't care about fitting in, first of all, because by being strict, like other people in the church, you see, there are sometimes in churches a more strict, a, a in Romans 14 terminology, and this isn't insulting, this is Romans 14, a stricter conscience would be a weaker conscience in that it doesn't allow certain things. Can't do some things or wear some things because of conscience issue. That's, and, and they do that to the glory of God. But there are some people who want to be thought of as spiritual, so they restrict themselves so they fit in the, what they see as the spiritual crowd. OK? 
Can I tell you? I don't think I have to tell you how damaging that is. Because we make the restrictions spirituality. We make the restrictions, marks, signs, whatever you want to, however you want to describe it, necessities for being holy. And so if we want to be holy, and if we want to be God, and you know what? There are very sincere people. We are very sincere in our desire to be holy, in our desire to be godly. But in order to please certain people, to fit in with certain people, what they think is more important than what God thinks. So we'll... When God's glory becomes our primary motive, we we will stop caring about fitting in by being strict like others in our church, but on the other side, by exercising freedoms like others in our church. Again, there is fault on both sides here. There is fault from those who feel like in order to be holy, they have to, they have to, do certain things or wear certain things or look a certain way or don't do certain things. But, but on the other hand, those who have freedoms in certain areas do at times make fun of, belittle, can show contempt. Remember that? And so in order to show our newfound freedom and how spiritual we are now, we want to fit in with the free group. Well, again, we ought to be more concerned about the glory of God and bearing His image than we are about fitting in. So when the glory of God is your motive, you won't care what others people, other people think or say. You'll, you'll, your desire will be pleasing God. You, you won't care about fitting in by being strict. You won't be, care about fitting in with those who exercise freedom because everything you do will be done for the glory of God. And then, fourthly, or next, you'll not want to break free from your strict background and start doing all the stuff you were never allowed to do. Say it again. When your desire becomes, or your motive becomes the glory of God, what you have not been allowed to do will not become the thing you do because you haven't been allowed to do it until now.
I, I've met young people who for all their lives were taught a certain way, restricted a certain way, and maybe when they get out from under their parents or even as they become teenagers or whatever the case may be, they feel like, well, I, I want to find out what real life is like now. I want to find out what it's like to be on my own. I want to do all the things that my parents never let me do. How does that glorify God? How does that glorify God? Even if the church was wrong and your parents were wrong, how does it glorify God to want to experience what you've never had? How does that glorify Him? You see, the fact is, these are all wrong motivations. They're all wrong. When we're making decisions, when we're making choices, our primary focus and motive ought to be what will God think? And what will others think of God because of me? When we start thinking in those terms, we can actually find freedom not to do what we haven't always been allowed to do, but to do what pleases Him. That's freedom. Freedom isn't, I finally get my way. Freedom is, I want to please God more than anyone or anything else. You know what that does? That puts parameters on us. That helps us in making decisions. What will people think of God if I watch this movie? What will people think of God if I go here? What will people think of God if, if I partake or don't partake? What will people think of God? That's freedom. And every one of us, if we want to have unity, will assume that everyone else in our church wants to please God too. Let me just quickly, in closing here, give you a few principles to answer this question. Can I? Can I you fill in the blank. Can I do this? Can I watch this? Can I listen? Can I? Here are some principles. Now, all of those are up there on that one screen because these are things we're actually going to be dealing with from Romans 14. So some we've talked about, some we will talk about. Let me just work through these 
very quickly. Am I persuaded that it is right? It being whatever it is we're asking the question about. Can I fill in the blank? Is it right? And we know from Romans 14, if we're not fully convinced that it is and our conscience restricts us, then we shouldn't. All right? Secondly, can I do it as unto the Lord? That's kind of what we're talking about here. Can I not do this or can I do this and say, this is for God? And God will be pleased. There's an issue of peace in our soul. Can I do it without can or, or can I do it without being a stumbling block to my brother? Does it bring peace? Does it edify my brother? Now, again, we're going to come back and talk about some of those, but I want to step out of our text in Romans 14 for a few principles. First of all, in Rome, or excuse me, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And again, this is, a, this is a context where Paul is dealing with some of these same principles. Can I? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's turn in our Bibles there, please. At verse number 12. All things, and, and again, he's talking about meats, and he's talking about... Um, Eating meat offered to idols, some, some would, some would not. All things are lawful unto me. In other words, Paul is saying, I can eat the meat. There's no law forbidding me from eating the meat. But all things are not expedient. The word expedient means profitable. They will not benefit me spiritually. Now, there's, there's a key question. Can I, let's just use one, can I drink beer as a beverage, as a Christian? Can I indulge in alcohol? Question, does it make you more like Jesus to do that? I've never met anybody who said it did and was honest. Can I watch a certain movie or read, read a certain author or whatever? The, does it make you more like Jesus? Is it profitable for your spiritual life? So when you ask the question, can I? Ask yourself, is it profitable for me spiritually? Secondly, go down to, again to verse number 12. Or over to verse 12. All things are lawful in me. All things are not expedient. All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of any. The word power there means authority. I will not be brought under the authority. We're talking about slave, slavery to whatever it is you choose. I love electronics. I do. It's... I can tell you uh, uh, the story, uh, how it, it's almost in my blood, okay? I, I love electronics. I love certain brands, a brand of electronics. It pained me to walk away from purchasing a certain watch yesterday made by a certain electronic company 
And I'm not asking you to get that for me, by the way. I mean, if you want to, no. Um, I love electronics. I love video games. Do you know why we don't have a video game console up at my house? Not because it's sin, but it would be sin for me. It would control me. And I learned that the hard way. Now, does that mean I never play video games? No, it doesn't mean that. Does that mean that I go crazy when I play video games? I try not to. I've never killed anybody yet. I mean, on the screen I have, but not physically, all right? But you see what I'm saying? Control. You know what? That applies to things like, oh, let me think, uh, coffee, food. And I love coffee. I love certain kinds of coffee. I love certain places to go and buy my coffee. But I can live without coffee, at least, maybe. I'm going to find out over the next few weeks. All right? You know what? This thing right here. Hold yours up. If you have access to it. You know, some of you are... Uh, yeah, it's right there with you. And some of you are texting somebody right now. All right? Or you're on Facebook right now. Or you're playing a game right now. Can I tell you something? If you're playing a game right now, this controls you. Not God. And I can say the same about texting unless it's an emergency. Or, you know, okay. You get my point? I'm using it because I try to change the slides behind me if it works. They tell us People who study culture and those kind of things tell us that these are literally now a part of you. Not just an accessory, but a part. What's the first thing you reach for when you get up in the morning? Some of us are glasses so we can pick up our phones. Right? Does this control you? If it does, you know what you ought to do with it? Confess it and forsake it. There's some people in this room that live a long time without one of these, okay? And we can still live a long time without them. Now, I understand this has to be, I understand, okay, please, I'm not saying you're not pleasing God if you have a phone. But I am saying... There are a lot of people who aren't pleasing God with their phones because it controls them. And it's not just phones, it's tablets, it's computers. And we're not even talking about porn issues or those kind of, we're just talking about control issues. And that can apply to anything. That can apply to sports, that can apply to hunting, that can apply to fishing. That can apply to hobbies. That can apply to relationships. It frightens me how relationships are literally controlling people today. Again, that, that thing of being so concerned about what somebody else thinks that it controls them. Finally, and, and here is really what today is all about. Can I? Well, does it help me bear the image of God? Does it bring glory to God? 
Does it help me bear his image? By the way, let me just say it this way too. You take God everywhere you go. So where have you taken God this week? What kind of atmosphere have you put God in this week? Have we put God in this week? And I don't mean to be trite or even overly simplistic there. That is something we ought to consider. Principle number five is profound. We ought to assume for the sake of unity that no matter where we come down in our positions that we that other people want to glorify God as much as we do. The question is, are we conducting our lives and making our decisions so that ultimately our life is about God and His glory? Let's bow for prayer.